the explosive new film, Flynn, Deliver the Truth, Whatever the Cost, exposes secrets behind the government's takedown of General Michael Flynn. Flynn knew what the intel world had been up to. He ordered the first audit of the use of contractors. This set off alarm bells. He told the truth. He was the most dangerous person for Donald Trump to hire. They had to get rid of Flynn. Flynn, Deliver the Truth, Whatever the Cost. Available now. Watch it today. Go to SalemNow.com. SalemNow.com. That's 800. The following program is sponsored Truth Incorporated. Today on Know the Truth from Philip DeCourcy. Biblically speaking, true wealth is what you have when you add everything up that money cannot buy and death cannot steal. So if you're finding your contentment, if you're defining your satisfaction, if you're marking your success on things, you're way off base. It is the fool who craves for things he cannot keep. Keeping up with the Joneses is a national pastime in America, but envy and discontentment is not a 21st century phenomenon. Today we'll find out that this human heart defect goes back to Adam and Eve, Cain and Abel, and David and Solomon. We're picking up in our study of Ecclesiastes 4. Solomon writes, Better is a handful with quietness than two hands full with labor and striving after wind. Here's Philip offering God's wisdom for a truly rich and satisfying life. Over 100 years ago, J.C. Ryle, the Bishop of Liverpool in England, wrote, quote, Two things are said to be very rare sights in this world. One is a young man humble, and the other is an old man content. 300 years before Ryle, Jeremiah Barrows, a Puritan pastor, wrote of the rare jewel of Christian contentment. Now, if that's true... And I think it is that contentment is rare. How much more true in our day, if true in their day? Although we have more than any generation before us, it seems that we enjoy it less, and certainly less than those before us who had less. Though we're a society rich in things, I think you'd have to agree we're dirt poor in terms of a sense of satisfaction. A sense of contentment. Sadly, but it's true, ours is a culture lost somewhere between not wanting what they have and wanting what they don't have. And as Solomon would say, there's nothing new under the sun. Like the story told by Carl Sandsberg, the noted biographer of Abraham Lincoln, he tells that a neighbor saw the 16th president of the United States lugging his two boys down the street. Both boys were yapping, bawling loudly, Willie and Todd. The neighbor asked Mr. Lincoln why they boys were crying. What's the matter? Lincoln answered, quote, just what's the matter with the whole world? I've got three walnuts and each of the boys want two. You see, discontentment is a past, present, and perennial problem. But I would add to that statement, it's not just a past, not just a present, not just a persistent problem. It is a pernicious 
problem. Have you ever thought about the deadly, destructive nature of discontentment? Discontentment can suffocate freedom, leaving us in bondage to our desires. Discontentment can poison relationships with jealousy and competition. Discontentment can wilt our worship of God as we grumble. Discontentment can weaken our faith as we seek to find our peace in things and vacillating circumstances. Discontentment can trigger temptation because it has us seeking a satisfaction outside of joy in God. Discontentment can cripple happiness because it has us failing to count our blessings as we want something else. Now, discontentment is a deadly, devilish thing. Thomas Watson in his book, The Art of Contentment, said, A drop or two of vinegar will sour a whole glass of wine. Let a man have the affluence and confluence of worldly comforts, yet a drop or two of discontentment will poison it all. That being the case, discontentment is deadly, destructive, devilish by nature. You and I need to kill it. Discontentment needs to be killed by us before it kills the work of God and the worship of God in us. So let's return to Ecclesiastes chapter 4. We've been working our way through this passage, and we've seen that the motif in this passage is that of loneliness. And in verses 1 through 6, Solomon talks about loneliness created by cruelty in verses 1 through 3. And then he talks about a loneliness created by covetousness. And while we were reading verses 4 through 6, we were struck, especially in verse 6, by Solomon's call for balanced living. Better a handful with quietness than both hands full together with toil and a grasping for the wind. The wise person realizes that some things matter more than other things. And the wise person realizes that the most important things are not things. So Solomon warns us here, rather than grasping for so much that we have to become a workaholic to achieve it, let's be content with less. You see, our problem, as a gentleman told me after the service last week, he says, Pastor, my dad said to me many years ago, our problem isn't the high cost of living, it's the cost of high living. And we need to get back to this verse here. Better a handful with quietness than both hands full together with toil. We want far too much. I don't know if you ever get tired of running in the rat race where only the rats win. A sign by a roadside carried this message, quote, I'm getting sick of the rat race. The rats just keep getting bigger and faster. So Solomon says, if I might kind of paraphrase it here, rather than putting two hands in for 80 hours work a week, why don't you put in 40 hours with one hand and with the other hand eat some bubblegum ice cream? That's a good challenge. And we went kind of off on this verse. We kind of parked our car here in verse 6. And we're going to stay here for a while and kind of milk this thought, better a handful with quietness. How do we cultivate contentment? How do we kill discontentment before discontentment kills the work of God and the worship of God in us? Contentment is essentially a matter of accepting from God's hand what he sends because we know that he is good and therefore it is good. 
We reminded ourselves contentment means that you have everything you need right now. We also reminded ourselves that contentment is not a denial of life's reality, which is often ugly and raw, but it is a freedom that finds its faith in God and liberates us from uh, being controlled by our emotions or having our joy defined by our circumstances. And we realized it's not a passive resignation, but it is a looking to God. It is a contentment in the moment until God changes our circumstances. And it's certainly not to be thought of as joining the ranks of the American middle class. So we started to um, mark out the path to contentment. We began to identify some mile markers on the road to contentment. Number one, anticipate a struggle. Okay? Anticipate a struggle. The journey to contentment's not an easy one. It's not a natural one. Because we've inherited the DNA of Adam and Eve, we realize that we have a niche we're always seeking to scratch outside the will of God. Discontentment comes naturally. Contentment does not come naturally. We must work for it. We must be ambitious for it. We must strive to indeed become content. In fact, I was going back over 1 Timothy 6 where Paul says, you know, having food and clothing, be content. Contentment with godliness is great gain. Just in the span of a short verse or two, what does he say? Flee these things and fight the good fight. Contentment must be fought for. You and I are going to have to anticipate a struggle. Paul learned through the different circumstances God put him in to indeed become more content. I was thinking about this. If you go over to James chapter 1, you get a similar thought. James chapter 1 verse 2, My brethren, count it all joy when you fall into various trials, knowing that the testing of your faith produces patience. And let patience, or we might translate that endurance, let patience or endurance have its perfect work, that you may be perfect and complete, lacking nothing. And James is getting close to talking about what Paul talks about in Philippians 4. I've learned contentment, sufficiency in God. My life is not defined by what I have or what I don't have. My joy is not drained away because I'm in a set of circumstances I don't like. No, James would say, as would Paul, count it all joy. Let God do his work in you, and he'll bring you to see that he's enough. And you'll become a complete and content Christian. When James talks about perfect here, he's not talking about sinless perfection. He's talking about spiritual maturity. When he talks about complete, he uses a Greek word that speaks about being well-rounded, all the portions together. I'm sure you've met people like that. And when you have, I can assure you, they're the people that haven't dodged the bullets of life. They have taken the train the whole way to the end of the track and allowed God to prove his sufficiency and to prove his sovereignty. And you and I must work through the testing of our faith. James says what? Let endurance do its work so that you might be brought to a place like Paul where you learn that there is a sufficiency in Jesus Christ. You can do all things through Christ who strengthens you. The word let there means hold. Get a hold of endurance. Don't let it go until endurance has done its work. Stay on the train to the end of the track. But you see, when you and I are in trouble, we want out. When life takes a nosedive, we want to know where the parachutes are. 
But we've got to anticipate a struggle and we've got to embrace a struggle because that's where we truly learn contentment. I like the story I heard Tony Evans tell a number of years ago of a couple on a boat on the first date and the girl stood up to move her position and the boat began to rock and it looked like she was going to fall overboard. So her, her new boyfriend grabbed for her arm to steady her, but he realized it was a prosthetic limb as it came off. Shocked, but not deterred. He, he does the only thing he could do at this point and reaches out for her hair, but her wig comes off. And he says to his new girlfriend, hey, if you want me to save you, you're going to have to cooperate. <laughs> Let patience have its perfect work. Submit to God-appointed tests and God-appointed trials. Learn contentment in the midst of all your circumstances. When you're up, when you're down, when you're full, when you're hungry. Listen to Paul, listen to James. Anticipate a struggle. Number two, want what you have. It's a simple point we made. Contentment is a matter of accepting, wanting, and being thankful for such things as you have, right? Hebrews 13 verse 5. We looked at two things. We need to lower our expectations, and we need to distinguish between need and greed. You see, the the secret to contentment is to be found in accepting God's provision and providence for the moment we're in. You may want to write that down. The secret to contentment is found in accepting God's providence and provision for the moment we're in. We need to want what we have right now. That doesn't mean that there's something more coming down the pike. But it does mean that God has you in this season, this time, for what? A purpose. Does that ring with anybody? Yeah. Ecclesiastes 3 verse 1. We need to make our desires equal to our circumstances. We need to track and train our desires and appetites. I like the statement of John Stuart Mill. I have learned to seek my happiness not by trying to fulfill my desires, but by limiting them. Now, that sounds like a call to asceticism or a a call to monasticism. No, I think it's a practical reality. It's a simple recognition of a number of things. We cannot have it all, and we cannot do it all. So don't seek it all, and don't seek to do it all. We're surrounded by so much stuff, so many opportunities, and most of them are healthy, most of them are wholesome, but you know what? We can't humanly afford it, and we can't fit it all into our schedules. So, he's right. Learn to seek happiness, not by trying to fulfill your desires, but by limiting them. You can't have it all, you can't do it all, and you don't need it all. According to Paul, right, in his words to Timothy in 1 Timothy 6, what does he say? Having food and clothing, be content. Paul is saying that if a Christian's got meat, drink, and clothes, he's rich. We need to remember that the stomach is sooner filled than the eye, in that it doesn't take as much as we might think to make it satisfied. That's why Jesus told us to pray for our daily bread, those things necessary for life. One other little thing here would be, again, it's not a call. Don't want to be misunderstood. It's not a call to asceticism. It's not a call to monasticism, but we cannot have it all. We cannot do it all. We don't need it all. And you know what? We maybe need to think through that sometimes less is just better and safer. 
1 Timothy 6, those that would be rich fall into all kinds of traps and temptations. And Paul said, some have gone astray from the faith and been pierced through with sorrow. Paul warns us of the perils of seeking more than we need and more than God has appointed for us. Again, to quote Thomas Watson, I just got the book this week. Go and get it. It's phenomenal. The Art of Contentment. He says this, Oh, the abundance of danger in abundance. And I think Solomon is saying that. In fact, Watson says this, The little sailing ship rides safe by the shore when the gallant ship advancing with its mask and topsail is cast away. Adam in paradise was overcome while Job on the dunghill was a conqueror. Sometimes less is just safer. But here's the third thing I want to get across. Anticipate a struggle. Want what you have. Thirdly, don't crave things you cannot keep. I think this is good. This is another mile marker on the road to contentment. Let's go over to 1 Timothy 6. 1 Timothy 6, verse 6. Now, godliness with contentment is great gain, for we brought nothing into this world... And it is certain we can carry nothing out, okay? We've heard it said, I'll say it again. You've never seen a U-Haul on the back of a hearse. All right? That's just a fact. Therefore, having food and clothing with these, we should be content. What's Paul saying here? He's saying that here's what promotes contentment. Don't crave things that you cannot keep. We brought nothing into this world, and we can carry nothing out of this world. So that tells you that stuff is not that important. Certainly not in the face of death. Certainly not at the mouth of eternity. Job picks up the same thought, doesn't he? Back in Job chapter 1, he says this, and maybe Paul had this, this very passage in mind. Then Job arose, tore his robe, shaved his head. He fell to the ground and worshiped and said, Naked I came from my mother's womb, and naked shall I return there. The Lord gave, and the Lord has taken away. Blessed be the name of the Lord. Guys, life is a pilgrimage from a point of nakedness to another point of nakedness. And I think sometimes we forget that. In fact, Steve Jobs, one year after receiving a diagnosis of pancreatic cancer, Steve Jobs stood before Stanford University's graduating class to reflect on his deathbed. Quote, remembering that I'll be dead soon is the most important thing I've ever encountered to help me make the big choices in life because almost everything, all external expectations, all pride, all fear of embarrassment or failure, these things just fall away in the face of death, leaving only what is truly important. Remembering that you're going to die is the best way I know to avoid the trap of thinking that you have something to loss. You are already naked. Interesting little statement there at the end, picking up Paul. We come into this world with nothing. And we will leave with nothing. And if you keep that in your mind, it will define your choices a little bit more clearly. You see, biblically speaking, true wealth is what you have when you add everything up that money cannot buy and death cannot steal. So if you're finding your contentment, if you're defining your satisfaction, if you're marking your success on things, you're way off base. Because... The most important things money cannot buy and death cannot steal. 
That means, by the way, okay, by implication, that an increase in wealth doesn't increase your contentment, and the decrease in wealth doesn't decrease your contentment. So, back to the point we're making. The practical takeaway from this is that anything we can't keep forever should not occupy our thoughts, should not define our contentment, should not be at the center of our affections, and it should not be a motivating force in our lives. We've quoted it, but boy, we could do with hearing it almost every week. Jim Elliott, martyred missionary, Ecuador, survived by his wife, Elizabeth Elliott. Maybe many of you have read her books with great profit. Before he died, he had made this statement, which drove him to the jungles of Ecuador. He is no fool who gives up what he cannot keep to gain that which he cannot lose. Because Paul wants to remind us, don't crave for things you can't keep. We brought nothing into this world. And it's certain we can carry nothing out. It is the fool who craves for things he cannot keep. Jesus defines that man, doesn't he, in Luke chapter 12, as a fool. This guy who's got everything. You know, his barns are full, his business is expanding. He's well thought of in the Rotary Club. He's got a, you know, a driveway a mile long up to his house with a white fence and big gates. But in one particular night, as he unfolds the plans for his next business adventure, he just flops onto the table, dead as a dodo, dead as stone. And God pronounces over his life full, this night his soul will be required of him. And then whose will these things be? The stuff he lived for, he left behind. Come on, let's be honest. I know my own heart. We find far too much of our joy and our satisfaction in things we cannot keep. And that doesn't mean they're not to be enjoyed. They're just not to be inflated in terms of their importance. In fact, this has a corollary thought here. We would do well to remember what we are. Go with me to 1 Peter 2 verse 11 and I'll remind you what you are. Peter says this, Beloved, I beg you as sojourners and pilgrims, abstain from fleshly lusts which war against the soul, having your conduct honorable among the Gentiles, that when they speak against you as evildoers, they may by your good works, which they observe, glorify God in the day of visitation. What are we? Pilgrims and strangers. This world is not your home. Our citizenship is in heaven. We're learning about the principle of contentment today on Know the Truth. It's a message from Philip DeCourcy called Only the Lonely. Don't miss the conclusion of today's study when we come back tomorrow. You can also request a copy of the unedited message on CD or order the complete study online at ktt.org. Again, the title of the series is Only the Lonely. And if you're new to Know the Truth, we've got a resource we'd like to send you. It's a free CD message from Philip that answers the question, Why does God allow us to suffer? Just let us know you're listening and we'll send it to you free of charge. It's our way of welcoming you to Know the Truth. Just call 888-644-8811. Now, no matter where life finds you, having the right view of God is absolutely critical. That's why we make these daily Bible teachings available on the radio and on our website at ktt.org. 
And it's also why we'd like to send you a copy of a compelling book by pastor and theologian J.D. Greer titled, Not God Enough. J.D. Greer asserts that the antidote to weak and wavering faith is a true understanding of the greatness of God. Ask for the book, Not God Enough, when you make a generous donation to Know the Truth today. Give online at ktt.org or call 888-644-8811. And maybe today is the day you'd like to make a greater impact for the gospel when you become a truth ambassador. It's easy to sign up to give an automated monthly donation online at ktt.org. As a truth ambassador, you'll also receive additional monthly resources to encourage you to know the truth while sharing that truth with others. Well, that's all the time we have for today. I'm your host, Wayne Shepherd. Join us again tomorrow when Philip DeCourcy continues a study called Only the Lonely, Friday on Know the Truth. Today's program was produced and sponsored by Know the Truth Incorporated. Jesus said, you shall know the truth and the truth shall make you free. witnesses angels at a dangerous car crash. A man is healed on his deathbed and given another chance to live. Two Christian pastors perform an exorcism on a psychic possessed by demons. A man thought his baby died until the impossible happened. These miracles are true and are chronicled in the first book of a new series, When God Happens, True Stories of Modern Day Miracles. When God Happens is compiled and edited by best-selling authors Angela Hunt and Bill Myers. Hunt and Myers came together to remind Christians God is the same yesterday, today, and forever. God has not turned his back on us or left us to our own devices. If you have an exciting miracle you'd like to see shared in the next edition of When God Happens, visit the website at whengodhappens.com. Get your copy now of best-selling authors Angela Hunt and Bill Myers' miraculous new book, When God Happens, True Stories of Modern-Day Miracles. Available now at Amazon, Barnes & Noble, and wherever books are sold. There are some questions. Three-star general Michael J. Flynn, head of the Pentagon Intelligence Agency, knew all the government's dirty secrets. He was one of the most respected generals in the military. Flynn knew what the intel world had been up to. He understood its funding. He ordered the first audit of the use of contractors. This set off alarm bells. The explosive new documentary, Flynn, deliver the truth, whatever the cost, and covers the facts behind this scandal. Flynn told the truth. He was the most dangerous person for Donald Trump to hire. I find out the worst enemy that I'm going to face in my life is right here in America. They took my assessment and they wanted me to change it. I was like, I'm not changing it. They had to get rid of Flynn. With in-depth interviews, archival footage, and never-before-seen personal record to the man behind the headlines. I just felt like I was drowning. Flynn. Deliver the truth, whatever the cost. Available now. Watch it today. Go to salemnow.com. salemnow.com.